Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Rob Patrick, who is the CEO of Bitmob. And Bitmob is a SaaS platform that produces automated tests for your code base. Basically, they help improve code quality, prevent bugs, and speed up engineering teams by over 30% on average. And Rob has a ton of experience as an entrepreneur. He also sold another company, and he's been writing code and being involved with tech for a matter of years, and has tremendous insights into the industry and also what it takes to be an entrepreneur and what it takes to start and grow businesses. So listen on to hear more of those insights. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Takes all of a minute or two to do so but it's very much so appreciated. Finally, The Grind, which was my community I had just launched in December of 2019. Applications are now open. It'll be closing in January and reopening up again. The applications are now open. And The Grind is just a community, a curated community of entrepreneurs, creators, go-getters, and digital and in-person helping people build their businesses, get ideas, get inspiration, make more of an impact together and something I've been wanting to orchestrate, put together for a matter of months, and I'm finally launching it. So just go grind.com slash the dash grind, or you can find it from the homepage as well. But the grind is now available, now open for applications. Check it out. Without further ado, here is Rob Patrick, the founder and CEO of Bitmob. Rob, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah, and we want to discuss, obviously, Bitmob and different entrepreneurial ventures you've been involved with. Just to start with, can you give people a little synopsis of what Bitmob is? Yeah, so with Bitmob, we built a uh, platform that produces automated unit tests for your code base. So it's all about improving code quality and preventing software bugs and speeding up engineering teams. Awesome. And that is, that's the company, that's the baseline. We're going to get into that. But where did this all get started then for you, Rob? Yeah, for me, it started uh, probably about 20 years ago. I, so I've been in the software engineering space for a long time. I got I got my start as a developer really early on and uh, originally founded a software um, development agency. So doing mobile apps and web apps. And so I really felt the pains of software test automation or lack thereof it for many years. And so, uh, you know, I, I ended up um, exiting and selling, you know, my first company in 2014. And so I had uh, several different ventures along the way, but you know, I founded Bitmob in 2017 based on the pains that I'd, I'd felt in the journey so far. <laughs> yeah. And that seems to be a common thing with entrepreneurs, you know, s- s- essentially solving the problem that they face and then making a solution that others that have the same problem can also, can also overcome that. And with that, so in thinking of this new company, you had this problem. What were some of those first initial steps you took to turn this into a real company? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a really big advocate for really testing out whether you have a market or not. So before I dive into you know creating a company and getting trademarks and a lot of logistics around that, uh, you really just have to test if this is something people really want. Uh, you know, it's always a good start when you want it because at least you know that you have one person out there that would buy it or needs it. Uh, but I spent probably the first uh, you know several months just testing out uh, you know, the, the messaging. So even before we built a product, you know, just going out there and seeing if people wanted to buy it, if they were interested in this space and, and just getting the feedback and adapting. So I spent a good amount of time, you know, doing that before I laid any sort of company infrastructure at all, really. 
Yeah. And with that testing, you, you mentioned, obviously, that's an incredibly important part of any business to make sure you actually have a market for, for what you're going to put out in the, into the world. I mean, who were you approaching for this research and what were the, some of the questions you were kind of asking them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that product market fit journey is always an interesting one. Um, and how mine started there was, you know, I approached companies that, that uh, were looking to build, you know, applications. And I was originally looking for companies to do mobile applications because they have both a, you know, a back end and a front end. It's a good opportunity to do some automation for them, you know, test automation. And so, uh, you know, companies were typically small. I'm very, you know, much more connected in the uh, startup ecosystem. And so yeah. started with some companies that had new projects, just getting things off the ground and offered to, uh, you know, use the, the BitMob services to build test automation for them. And so, you know, we ended up getting our, our very first customer that way, even really before we had a platform. That's incredible. And and with that too, I mean, you have this network already built up through obviously your other companies as well. And what were you looking for in a company to join or what, 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 what was that process like in trying to evaluate, okay, which companies should even you work with and just trying to get any customer possible? Like, how did that go for you? Yeah, it was, it was uh, a lot of, you know, whoever would be willing to work with us, right? We can't be, <laughs> at the beginning. but uh, I was also as a bonus looking for a company that would work through the, you know, the gaps with us and give us feedback, you know, because for an early stage startup, feedback is gold, you know, that's yeah. where you really learn and you adapt. And so, you know, we were looking for companies that, uh, you know, knew that we were just getting started with it. It wasn't a perfect process and it would give us feedback along the way. That, that was our barometer. Yeah. And with that too, then once you started to work with them, what was some of the feedback you were getting initially and how did you adjust with that? Yeah. So the uh, initial feedback that we we got was that it uh, was, you know, going pretty smooth. So they, you know, they liked the the value prop that we were bringing in. Um, the platform itself didn't, you know, really wasn't there. So they, they really couldn't get their hands on it. So uh, some of the feedback they they gave us was around feature sets. You know, these are the things that we would want to do ourselves, and these are the things that we're okay just having you do. And so that uh, ultimately became the foundation for you know our early roadmap and, and kind of what features we wanted to expose to clients first. Yeah, yeah. Then even backing up just a little bit too. I mean, with this company, who was involved with this company? How did you go about you know figuring out who's going to be on this team to even build this in the first place? Yes, yeah, so that's a funny story. I my first company that I built was, you know, I was the sole founder, and so I ran it for you know almost fifteen years as the sole founder, and uh, you know that that comes with a lot of benefits, like financially. You know, when you sell the company, you get the benefit, but it's kind of a lonely <laughs> journey. And so I, I did want to find co-founders. I actually originally set out to have co-founders in Bitmob, and so along the way, I you know worked with a few different people and talked to several people. And, um, you know, long story short, there was two people that sort of joined me in the journey and for different reasons along the way had to drop off just before we got funding. And oh, so, wow. yeah, it was sort of bittersweet, you know, I, but, uh, the great thing is I've met some wonderful people along the way, uh, you know, when we got our funding and started getting customers, you know, at that point you're a little too far along to really bring in co-founders, but got to, um, uh, you know, still got to work with some really great people along the way. Yeah, and with the funding too, and going to that that piece of the equation, what were you looking for, and how did that go? That process go for you? Mm-hmm. So the platform initially, you know, the first six months or so, I just funded it uh, myself, right, from the yeah. sale of my previous company and sort of you know that, that fem- family and friends round. Uh, and then once I got the indicators that that uh, you know, we had something there, we had some interest and some product market fit, then I decided to go out and raise some capital, just kind of an initial seed round. And so we really talked to a lot of groups in LA, um, you know, met some 
some wonderful people that uh, were at all different stages. And so our investors uh, initially were, were Mucker Capital uh, and Mucker Lab. So they're a really great group there in Santa Monica. And we had Pasadena Angels come in. So we had several people there, um, met another um, key investor, the more of a private equity firm. They came out of Tech Coast Angels and they ended up you know, taking the rest of our round. So uh, it went pretty well, you know, pretty quick. And uh, you know, that became our seed round. Yeah. And with people who have a company and are thinking about raising funding or are fundraising right now, is there anything that you could tell them that would be beneficial as they're going through that process of raising a fundraising? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of great advice <laughs> that we I learned the hard way, but a few, I guess, key pieces in there. Uh, number one would be to set time frames. You know, funding or fundraising takes a long time. A lot of people think, oh, I got a great idea and somebody's going to write me a check at lunch with this week. <laughs> but it, it typically takes, you know, uh, several months. And, and I would say about six months is a pretty fair cycle that you'll have to go through, uh, you know, to get some initial capital. Uh, I would also say, um, you know, understand that you don't really set the value of your company. The market does. And, and your initial market is your investors. And so, you know, how much your company is worth is how much investors are willing to pay for your company, to be part of your company. So a lot of that is, especially in a seed round, is very emotional. You know, you, you have to understand your audience, you know, what space you're in. You know, if you're in a really exciting space that's getting a lot of other investment, you know, maybe you can command a higher valuation. Whereas if you're in an older industry, you know, maybe you're doing amazing things, but if you're in an older industry that's not quite as exciting on the surface, you know, sometimes valuations just, you know, aren't there. And so really understand your, your market, your audience, and, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, create some, create some excitement. You know, it's, it's an emotional process. Yeah. yeah. And with that too, I mean, how long did it end up taking you to fundraise for this company? Uh, we got first money in. And ours was pretty quick. So we, we actually got our first verbal commitment, like, you know, it took time to get all the agreements done, but our first verbal commitment yeah. came within the first month, within the first 30 days. Um, and that was Mucker Capital. And, uh, nice. yeah, and, and then first money actually arrived, you know, checks in the bank. It took um, about three months, you know, and then uh, and one yeah. of the mistakes that I made was not putting a really hard cap on the timing. So the rest of the money that was sort of committed took a long time to trickle in. And that wasn't a great strategy. So I guess that's another, you know, one of the takeaways that I mentioned is, you know, time box the investment so that investors know that if they're in, they've got to move and put in money. And, uh, and that, that will help you, you know, condense that time frame a little bit. Oh yeah, definitely, and it's something to import, important to know as well that you've already had started a company before this company, and it had an exit already, which is helpful uh, in fundraising. It's definitely not a not going to necessarily hurt you, though you didn't have a team necessarily. But um, do you think it was relatively helpful having that in terms of pitching these new investors? Yeah, I think that was really key. You know, I learned a ton along the way there, um, and and again, being a sole founder, a lot of investors. Uh, don't like the idea of having a sole founder. And so I wasn't sure how big of an issue right. that was going to be. But I think the fact that I built a company and sold it as a sole founder mitigated a lot of that risk. So it, it, it yeah. did help me out. Um, but I, I would say, you know, while that's, you know, key, uh, you know, who you know, and the introductions you can make is also really important. You know, having a great network of people that could refer me to some of these investors to open those doors was really huge. Yeah. And, and one thing that's really not, I guess, talked about as much, people typically gloss over the family and friends side of things in terms of getting that first money, even before necessarily like a, a seed round. I mean, how do you, how do you pitch your company at that point, family and friends or smaller investors? Like, how are you pitching it at that point when it's maybe a, a slightly smaller thing than getting VC 
backing? Um, well, you know, in my situation, uh, I was able to self-fund it. So I didn't really go through that traditional like pitch on the fan, you know, the family and friends side. Yeah. So I probably can't speak as directly to that, but I mean, just personally, just my thoughts around it. And I've, you know, I've had some family and friends ask me for money so I can speak about it from, from that <laughs> side. Um, you know, what, yeah. what, uh, you know, what you're looking for is, is getting that product market fit, um, proof as quickly as possible and as diligently as possible. And so those, you know, the family and friends money isn't, um, you know, it only goes so far. So you really have to make the most of it and get yourself ready for the next round. So you don't necessarily, and typically wouldn't be able to build a full product or a full company, but you have to be really clear in what you're trying to accomplish and what it's going to show you in preparing for getting that next seed round. And so I, I think that plan and, and just being really clear and realistic on what you're trying to accomplish with that money is important. Yeah. And then with Bitmop too, just going through, obviously you said you you had the fundraising and you has proof of concept, people on board then. You know, what were kind of those next steps in building the company after that? So the for us, it was really about expanding out the platform because there's a lot of things we were doing manually and it was you know processes that, that uh, just took me a lot of time to do. Whereas if we had a platform, it would really save a lot of time, right? So it was really about automation and scale. And, uh, and I'll also still mix in product market fit. You know, when we initially came out, we thought we had product market fit, you know, locked, locked in pretty well because we had a paying customer and we'd built an interest list of several other companies, including like a publicly traded company. And so like, that felt really good. We, we thought, okay, we've got product market fit. We've got people <laughs> that are going to buy this. But what we found out is when we hit market, uh, we'd built something that was very interesting and that some people would pay for but they, there wasn't urgency around it. You know, our, our initial product was something people said, yeah, I'd love to use that at some point in my life. And that didn't do us a lot of good because as a startup, you know, we have to be within a pretty condensed sales cycle. We, you know, we got to get customers signing up. And so we had to really make a lot of adjustments and really find the product market fit. And I'm a big fan of, of focusing, right? In order to, in most any company that's, that's very successful, they've done it on, on a core feature or a core value proposition. And then a lot of other features and things come out of that, but you have to have that one hook. And right. so the, the approach that, that I initially took with Bitmob was to start off a little bit more broad, you know, so we sold the platform as an engineering task platform and you could use it for lots of different things. And we knew something was going to emerge out of that. And, and sure enough, you know, that, that broad sales approach sort of put us into a category that was a little bit more similar to, you know, so, software engineering, like service companies, like the one I'd built previously. And that's yeah. less exciting, you know, it's needed, but it's, it doesn't stand out as much. And so um, it was really hard to differentiate us in that space. And so what we found is the area that kept emerging for us is our, our biggest value proposition where customers want to keep using us was the software test automation. So I, I'd love to say that I had the, you know, the brilliant concept of finding that ahead of time, but I really didn't. Really <laughs> you get out there, you get beat up by market, they tell you, and you just have to be you know, humble enough and wise enough to listen to what the market's telling you. And, and that's really what we did. Yeah, which is so, so incredibly important. And and with that too, like as you've kind of evolved here, I mean, what has been then your customer acquisition like plan? Like how are you acquiring customers now? Mm -hmm. So uh, we're still pretty early into the plan. So we launched, you know, in early 2019. And, uh, you know, every different market has its own challenges. So, you know, what channels, what marketing channels are going to work for one business aren't necessarily going to work for another one. So I was able to take some of my, my learnings from my previous, you know, software company and, and, and bring those in. But there's a lot of new things that came out too. And so, um, 
to give you an example for us, you know, now uh, content is a really big uh, thing. And so yeah. building a content strategy and establishing ourselves as leaders in this space and, and really giving back to the community because we're, we're a developer tool, right, for in, in software test automation. So right. you know, just providing value to developers, is, that's really been key. Um, so committing to that strategy, you know, from a, from a marketing and, and advertising standpoint, um, you know, online ads are always key. You know, running digital marketing campaigns and, and targeting the right audiences is really important. Um, you know, we've... We're in a, a little bit of a, a tough category in that basically our customers are just about anybody doing custom software development, right? So how we narrow that down is really by customer type, you know, size of company, maturity of the software that they're they're publishing, and team size, you know. So we look at a lot of those factors to try to narrow that down and get the most out of that channel. Uh, but those are, you know, I would put a warning flag on that. A lot of uh, new companies, especially new companies, think, oh, I'll just run some ads and we're gonna have a bunch of customers come in and. You know, that's not always the case and you can burn through a lot of money really quickly if you don't understand even you know within a subsector of who your customers are and their demographics and why they're buying you so so we're constantly you know um, aware of that and having to adapt but those are a couple of techniques that we use currently yeah and with that with those customers too I'm wondering about how do you like how in depth do you do on like customer profiles or like customer personas to figure out who your potential customers are and, and the the channels that you're going to actually spend, you know, allocate more of your time to versus others. Like, how do you build that? And what does that look like? Yeah. So it's a, it's a lot of trial and error. Um, you know, you have to start with some, some baseline guesses, right? And so, and that's why building a product that you have the need for gives you something to start with because I right. know me, I know my persona, I know my colleagues. And so, so that's a, a pretty decent place to start. And then what happens is you start to test it out and you find out that that does work on a broad scale or, or you start to get feedback from them. And that's what I think is just really key early on is, is adapting to the feedback. So usually I structure you know, uh, marketing tests, A-B tests and, and messaging, not just around did it work or not, but trying to get feedback around it as well. You know, some of the stuff you can test out and, and know whether they bought or not based on a conversion. You know, they did click or they didn't purchase, but some of it's softer. You know, why they didn't purchase is sometimes is equally as important as whether is the people that did click. And so, um, yeah, we, we, you know, use different tools for that. Um, you know, on, from a product standpoint, uh, using tools like Mixpanel and things where you can create custom events and track how people are using your platform is really useful. Um, I've done yeah. just pure focus groups too, like literally just Slack channels and you know putting together um, uh, you know in, in different groups, whether it's Facebook groups or, or you know Slack groups, and putting together polls, uh, email campaigns, all that stuff is really really good early on. You know, test out your ideas. You know, don't don't run with an assumption for too long without testing it. Yeah. And with those tests too, then, I mean, you obviously gather there's different data and it's really like an ongoing thing of, you know, figuring these things out, but how, how long do you run those tests for or how long do you, before you kind of know, okay, this is the direction we want to go versus this direction. I mean, it could be different case by case basis, but can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. And it does totally vary on a case by case basis. Um, you know, one of my core strategies in building this company and just, you know, any company I've been involved with is I try to list my biggest risk points first. You know, I literally have a, a whiteboard that I just, I, I'll write out the risk points. What are the things that I'm most nervous about or that I'm least confident that, um, you know, that, that the customers are going to want. And I just kind of go top down on those. And I take each one of those and I find out, I find a way to test it. 
Uh, and a lot, a lot of times you can do this, you, you know, again, through the, the methods that I mentioned. Uh, and sometimes you have to get more creative. But you know, the timing that it takes really varies for me to get to a point of comfort on those. But, it, you know, if I was to lay some guesses around that, uh, I would say, uh, you know, it's as, as low as a few days. You know, if I've got a few directed conversations I can have, sometimes I can mitigate it within a few days. And sometimes it's like a month or two you know, because I really need to hit a broader group and let it play out over a period of time. Um, but obviously, the quicker you can validate those things, and the more cost effectively you can evaluate, uh, evaluate them, the better. Yeah. And and from your career too, with obviously having sold a company and having this new company uh, launched in 2019, I mean, what have been just some of the biggest challenges you faced in, in growing companies? Oh, wow. There's there's so many. Um, <laughs> And you know, it's, it's funny, I would actually go more towards the emotional side. You know, I think being a founder is, and especially somebody's a first time founder, a lot of times they don't really know what they're getting into on the emotional side, because it's really a roller coaster. Um, you know, there's, there's going to be good days, and there's gonna be really bad days. And the reality is not all of it's in your control. Actually, there's a lot of it not in your control. So even if you've got a really good plan, and you're executing well, and you're working really hard, and you're putting in the hours, none of those things guarantee success. You know, there's lots of factors that are, are you know, timing, you know, it's up to mark, it's up to the kind of market timing, it's up to just being lucky and knowing the right person being in the right place at the right time. And so uh, those are the things that I tend to, to look at more, you know, I'm pretty confident that, you know, I can work hard and I can, you know, I know what I'm doing in my space, but the stuff that makes me more nervous is the things I can't control. And so I try yeah. to try to influence those things a little bit. And, and, you know, that's things like, uh, you know, going to meetups, just meeting, you know, sometimes I meet people with just great energy that are excited in the space and I like talking to them and who do they know? And, you know, so really, really building out that network is a, is a key piece of, um, you know, what I like to do, but, but I would say the biggest challenges for me at least tend to come, uh, around just, you know, the emotions of building a company. And, and when you hit those lows, just talking to the right people, having the right mentor, having the right networks to, you know, just keep your head up and keep pushing through. Yeah. And, and yeah, the emotional side is, is, is a roller coaster of sorts. And you mentioned kind of going to meetups and finding mentors. I mean, how have you kind of just diving a little bit deeper on that that point, then how have you gone about you know the finding which which meetups to go to, what things you might be interested in, even mentors? What does that look like? Because um, I think you, everyone does need support, especially entrepreneurs as they're building a company. But how have you, just more on a detailed uh, note, gone about that? Yeah, so we got very lucky in that you know Mucker Capital, which also has Mucker Lab, a technology accelerator, you know here in LA. Um, you know they they invested in us, and that's just been a phenomenal network, and so. That uh, within that, there's you know uh, a, a lot of different companies of all different sizes that have come out. So I have access to a ton of different founders and a pretty tight knit you know network there. And then there's uh, also uh, you know Mucker mentors, which are just really incredible you know successful and intelligent people in all different spaces. And so um, that was you know the technology accelerator route was really interesting and. Um, you know, it's something I toggled with quite a bit too, because accelerators aren't the, you know, the, the, the cheapest money you can get, you know, you sort of pay a premium for some of the, the value that comes along with that typically. But, uh, yeah. you know, and I, I built a company and, and, and hired a bunch of people and sold it. And so I wasn't sure how much value I'd really get out of that. But, uh, but ultimately joining it was a really great idea because it accelerated that network and it gave me access to just really high quality people very quickly. And, and you can't even put a dollar value on that. You know, so that, that was really important for us. Yeah, I, I think that's it's been kind of echoed by other guests I've had in the show, other entrepreneurs I've talked to as well, whether it be through their 
through their fundraising, through their accelerator program they've gone through, whether it be like a Y Combinator situation or whether it be either just even support groups or like a YPO type of situation, find that network around you to kind of support you and have these people to, that you can aspire to, but also your peers and see how they are going about solving problems and managing the ups and downs just of being an entrepreneur, which like we said, it can be incredibly challenging. Mm-hmm. And and how do you look at kind of the the day-to-day, like short-term, stay alive in the company versus, you know, are we aligning with where we want to take this thing longer term? How do you how do you manage that? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and, and it's always a tricky balance. You know, you don't want to be too hard on one side or the other for too long. And so, you know, my personal approach is, especially early, in an earlier stage company, is you have to focus on the short term. You got to really be in the trenches, you know, thinking, thinking, you know, short term feedback and making adjustments, but always checking out of that to just look at the bigger picture and, and see if the feedback you're getting, if the adap- adaptations that you're making are in line with the overall vision. And, you know, oftentimes it's a journey. You, you really have to adjust as you go along. Um, but, you know, my, my sequence is, is definitely, you know, more sort of short feedback and really kind of being in the trenches and close to customer feedback for, uh, you know, a majority of the time. And then, uh, you know, stepping back. And, and that's usually anywhere from like the one to three month range. I like to just do a real good yeah. check in with myself and with the, you know, my company and, you know, key people in the company to make sure that we're really still heading in the direction and everything is in line with, you know, what, what we uh, think should be playing out. Yeah. And with that check-in, because I love the details and love to try to be as useful as possible for people. What does that kind of look like, that check-in? Yeah, for me personally, and I think it really varies for everybody, but uh, for me, it's it's just quiet time. I disconnect myself from email. You know, I'll take a half day or, or even up to a couple days yeah. to really disconnect digitally. Like I don't want external influences. I want to just digest what I've heard and just let it soak in. And so I love going to the mountains, for example. So sometimes I'll just do a, a weekend away, quiet weekend where I kind of get in the mountains. I walk a lot kind of in nature and just really absorb everything that I've been thinking about and see how it feels and let that settle in. Um, but that, you know, that's not always possible too. So sometimes it's, it's simply just a stroll around the neighborhood or going for a little, you know, part day hike. Um, but you know, just kind of getting out of your normal routine, I think is really the key there. Yeah. I've always kind of found that anytime I do that too, whether it be in nature, whether it be just different cities, shake things up, it kind of does help you refocus and figure out what's important and where you're going. Are you on the right path every, whether it be a month or two, whether it be every three months, finding that cadence for you is incredibly important. And, and with Bitmob having launched 2019, early 2019, I mean, what is kind of the, the vision you have for this company moving forward? For us, really, I set out to, uh, you know, really cause shift in the, you know, software engineering space. And so a big piece of that for me is around uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence. It was an area that I was very passionate about when I, you know, was getting ready to start Bitmob and I wanted to uh, find opportunities to to really disrupt the market with that space. And so that's a really uh, a big piece of the, the future vision with Bitmob. You know, right now we're, we're building out an engine that, that provides value and, and can do some things automated. But as we move down the line, you know, our product is going to evolve more into, uh, you know, sort of an AI based platform for test production. And uh, there's just some really interesting engineering challenges that you know personally excite me in that space. Uh, but I also think it has some really, you know, has potential for some really significant global impact. Uh, you know, bringing software and software quality closer to companies, startup companies and large companies, I think is going to have a, a really positive impact in, in a large way. So so those are kind of a big piece of our vision and some, some elements that I'm just really excited about. 
Yeah. And then and stepping back then too, looking at how you actually kind of manage your time literally in a day, how you manage your day, how do you manage your time as, as the founder of this company? How does that go for you? So I'm very particular on where I spend time and I, I plan. So I actually put time into planning my time and uh, I would highly recommend <laughs> this for anybody, right? And so yes. <laughs> uh, how that typically comes together is a combination of a few different tools. But the night before, you know, it's like every night I kind of just reset what are my top priorities that I want to get first done first the next day. And so usually that's my, my early morning window. So I like to get up and, you know, usually around 6.30 or so, um, 7 a.m., you know, check in and, and have a couple hours before things that really start to to ramp up and I just focus in on my top priorities. And so on good days, you know, I'll, uh, I'll hit, you know, those, those items and be done with that before the day even really starts. And that feels really, really good. It's yeah. energizing for me. Um, you know, and so I use a couple of different tools for that, but, but primarily, um, you know, to do list applications. So, you know, now, right now I currently use Todoist and I just, yep. you know, religiously set those things up. I prioritize them and I, I shuffle every night and I, I make conscious decisions on what I want to accomplish. Um, on top of that, I've also find that time boxing is a really great tool. And so, uh, if I have something that I want to complete or something that's come up, I remove distractions from my, my, my day as well as I can. And I time box a period of time and I say, you know, I'm going to focus on only this for this period of time. My goal is to finish it in that. Um, and sometimes the environment change actually helps too, like, you know, just popping out to a coffee shop or just going into a different space and, and, uh, and just being there for that period of time. Uh, can be really good when you're working on high quality stuff, but uh, but it really is um, you know more about uh, quality than it is quantity. There's a lot of things that as startup founders we have to do, uh, and there's a lot of things that we think we have to do. And so getting a distinction between those two and really focusing on that, the things that you really need to get done and prioritizing those, I, I think is is you know key to being successful. Yeah. And then just in terms of your kind of learning and growth over the years as, as an entrepreneur, have there been any particular impactful books, podcasts, conferences, audiobooks, anything in particular that you've helped that's helped you learn and grow? Um, I, I would actually, there has been, um, you know, there's a few that pop to mind, but I would say the most influential thing was more people was, was, you know, discussions and mentorships and having and the people in my network, you know, by far that, that shaped me, you know, more than any individual book or podcast. Um, but uh, so I, I would first and foremost advocate for, you know, fo focus on that network and find people that, uh, you know, can provide you insight and give you guidance. People that have been there before you, that's, that's going to be huge. Um, yeah. but, but a healthy mix of, you know, uh, definitely podcasts, you know, books. And so, you know, for me, uh, you know, there's a couple of books that popped to mind that I read, you know, little older books, but, you know, read a little more recently. Um, so I'm thinking like Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell, you know, outliers, uh, was really sort of eye opening for me, you know, to the concept that, you know, really everything isn't under your control. You know, there's a lot of things you can do well, but there's some external factors that you need to keep your eyes on as well. Um, so that, that was key as far as uh, podcasts go. There's one that I, I listen to more recently now in my field is uh, software engineering daily. It's a great little podcast for, for the techies out there and really talks about some, some great, you know, topical, uh, you know, technical topics. So, so that's been really great. Um, and then I'd, I maybe also throw out, uh, like James Collins, good to great. Uh, that, that was, you know, more of a business based book, but some of the concepts in there around leadership, you know, that, that was a big skill that I had to learn over time. You know, how do you become, how do you move from an, being an introverted engineer to becoming a founder and then eventually becoming a leader, you know, for a company and, yeah. and a manager. So, 
Yeah. Oh, totally. And then with the people side of it, with the network, I mean, how can someone then approach that and putting themselves in a position where they are around good people and potential mentors? Like, how would you, how would you go about that? Yes. I would say there's a couple of different things. One of them that first and foremost would be just be genuine, you know, be, be yourself. I, I don't think you have to go out with an agenda or anything, but just being yourself and showing as, as startup founders, we have a lot of passion. So just showing that passion and letting it come out is contagious. It's maybe the, the number one tool that we have, you know, early on. And so when you get around people that see your excitement and your passion and that you're a genuine person, uh, you're going to attract the right people, you know, and you're going to get a lot of just support because people, you know, we want to support that. We want to see amazing things and transformation happen in our world. And so uh, that's number one. And then, you know, just focusing on areas where you're around the kinds of, you know, the groups of people that you can help and that can help you. And I think both of those pieces are important. You know, you don't want to go to places just because you think that group can help you. Um, but if you can go somewhere where you can also contribute, bring them value and, and, you know, kind of stay in touch and build relationships over time. Those are really key. And that, that could be, you know, again, conferences, it could be meetups. Um, you know, it could be friends of colleagues, you know, like who, you know, sometimes I ask my colleagues, who do you respect most in this area? And I'm just curious and I have some questions and I, I sometimes set up a phone call or take somebody to lunch just to ask them questions. You know, I, I realize that they know a lot in that space and I respect that. And it's just one way that I, I thank them. And, you know, I've learned a ton just by, just by doing that. Yeah. And Rob, with looking back at your career as well, having started now multiple, multiple businesses and even sold a business already. I mean, what has been one or two lessons that you would like to share with the audience looking back? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of lessons and I, you know, my head initially goes to persistence. I think as a startup founder, there's a, a tenacity that you have to have. Um, but what I found was really difficult is, is to know when to push and when to back off. And, and uh, you know, as, as a, a founder, you, you have to be leading the charge. You have to see things that other people don't see. But on, this, on the other side of that coin, you also have to know when there's nothing there. You know, charging down a path that's, that's you know, uh, not going to bear fruit is, is how companies end. And it's how people run out of energy and, and excitement. And so balancing those two things has been the biggest lesson for me. Uh, and that really comes for me, at least with, uh, with time, you know, you, you sort of get, you get, you build wisdom over, over periods of time as to what does work and what doesn't work. And, uh, and don't be afraid to be wrong. You know, we, we have to believe we're right until we find out we're wrong and then you, then you move on. And so I, I think just seeing it, it, you know, being able to see things from those two different perspectives is, is really been uh, important. Yeah. And then, and also with you in your career, why did you become an entrepreneur in the first place? You know, I started as an entrepreneur really, really early on building, you know, this, this video game book uh, subscription service. And I think, you know, I was about eight years old and then just never turned back. Um, you know, I, I, I loved combining my two passions, which are software development and technology and, and business, you know, and, and building companies. Um, you know, when you, when you're in school and they ask you, hey, you know, what job do you want to be in? You know, Jimmy says he wants to be a firefighter and, you know, uh, Sarah says she wants to be a doctor. My answer was an inventor. And I didn't really know what that meant because, you know, really the internet was just starting to emerge and nobody had figured any of that stuff out. 
but I knew I wanted to create and I wanted to invent. And when I found software, that became my medium. I saw it as an art form and I, it just fulfilled me in a lot of different ways. So I started to use that as my, as my canvas for creating things. And, and I just was really fortunate and really blessed that, you know, the, the, the society and businesses evolved and the internet became such an amazing thing and, you know, everybody needed software and that's what I love to do. And so that's really uh, been the driver, you know, for my, for my path ever since. Yeah, which is which has been quite an incredible journey with with where you've gone so far, which is which is amazing. And and one of the last questions I have is just with anyone considering becoming an entrepreneur, maybe they're either they're in a job now and hasn't to take the leap, or they're in school now and you know thinking about that too, but they have ideas and they've, they're working on tinkering on stuff. Like, what would you tell them, or who or who would you who would you say entrepreneurship is for? I would actually start out by saying who it's not for. And so a lot of people say, I want to start a business or I want to be my own boss. And, you know, I, I want to have, um, you know, this free schedule. Um, those are all great. Like those are, those are good things that come out of it, but, but those are not good reasons to become a founder. Um, I, I would say it really starts with passion. You know, if you, the hours that you put in, the heartache, the risks that you have to take, you have to really, really be passionate about it because at the end of the day, if you're doing something that you love and it's for a reason that you think is really worthwhile, uh, no matter how far you go on that journey, it will have been worthwhile. You will have enriched your life. And so I, I really feel like, um, you know, the, the key reasons to, to, to go become a startup founder is, is, you know, really around passion and something that you would spend your time doing, even if there was no money involved. Right. But once you get past that, there's some things that, that, uh, you know, you really have to take into consideration. And I think uh, yeah. there's really kind of three things that drive most people. You know, one of them is money. And the other thing is, um, you know, freedom of schedule. And, and the last one is um, doing things that are meaningful. And as we go through life, those things change. You know, sometimes one of those areas or two of those areas is greater and, and, it, and it adjusts. So when you look at those three areas, just always recognize in your life where you're at. And, you know, yeah. if you are wanting to start a company, um, making money in the short term is probably not the right driver, right? But if you're looking, <laughs> if you're looking for freedom and that's really the stage you're in in your life, then starting a company is a really great way to do that, right? And, and as well as passion. You know, if you find something you're passionate about and you and passion and freedom are driving you, those are both really great triggers from my experience in, you know, as to a, a good time to start a company. Yeah. And, and Rob, it's been great talking to you today. And where can people go to learn more about what you're doing, uh, connect with you as well? Yeah. So definitely find me on, you know, LinkedIn, Rob Patrick and uh, bitmob.com is where you'll find what we're up to most recently. Awesome. And I'll be sure to link that as well in the show notes, just go grind.com slash podcast. Thanks again, Rob. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Justin. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate it. If you haven't already, check out The Grind, which is a community where entrepreneurs, creators, and other go-getters can connect digitally and in person to build their businesses, get ideas and inspiration, make an impact, and support others pursuing their dream. The goal of this community when I created is, is really simple. It's to use our collective experiences, skills, connections, and unrelenting ambition to make a bigger impact on the world. And during my time at USC, growing this podcast, attending conferences. I've met so many incredible people and wanted to have a way to connect them, a place where they could reach out to each other, get support, but also then just leverage the skills we have to do more. And this community is exactly that. Learn more at justgogrind.com slash the dash 
grind. You can also find it from the homepage, just go grind.com. Check it out. Thank you.